Our scripture passage today is the book of Matthew, chapter 5. We'll be reading verses 33 through 37. If you have a, a black Bible in front of you, it's on page 810. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 5, 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. You may be seated. At some point in time, we have all experienced a situation, whether through um, it directly happening to us or whether through us being the perpetrator and doing this to someone else. But at some point in time in my life, I'm just confident that all of us have experienced a situation where words were spoken, words were exchanged between people, and whether it was geared toward us or we did it to someone else, the intent of these words were meant to deceive and these words were meant to manipulate. So when I was in the military, I had a buddy who worked for the Department of Corrections. And he told me that when dealing with the inmates, one of the jobs that he had to do was just walk among the inmates. It was a lower-level security prison. One of the jobs he had to do was walk among the inmates, and then they would ask and make requests of him. They weren't just free to go off and do what they want to do, so they had to come up to him, and they would ask him, can I do this, or can I go here, or can I have access to the gym, or these sorts of things. And in dealing with these prisoners, he, he developed a system of how to talk to them or deal with them on his own whenever they would make a request of him. He would either say to them upon getting a request, I'll get right on that, or he would say to them, I'll see what I can do. In one phrase, what he meant was this, I will genuinely look into your request. So someone came up to him and said, can I go to the gym? And if he told them, I'll get right on that, for him that meant, you know, I'm genuinely going to actually go and do what you've asked me to do. But the other phrase meant this, there's no way that I'm going to do what you're asking, and I'm not going to tell you that, but I will tell you what you want to hear, so I'll see what I can do. So in that case, that person heard what they thought they wanted to hear, I'll see what I can do, but my buddy knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he wasn't actually going to go and do anything. On one hand, you had speech that was right, with right intention behind it, I'll get right on that. But on the other hand, you had speech that was right, but with wrong intention behind it. It was meant to deceive and manipulate. The words in that latter phrase, I'll see what I can do, they sounded good, they sounded right, but when you looked at the heart attitude, there was no genuine desire to follow through with what my buddy was speaking. And so when you turn in our scripture today to Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is going to address something very similar as he continues working through the Sermon on the Mount. He's going to turn to the issue of truthfulness. He's going to turn to the issue of truth-telling. He's going to turn to the issue of how do we operate as believers in Christ with integrity in our speech. 
King Jesus is preaching a sermon, and he's explaining to his disciples what righteous living looks like. And in every case that Jesus has addressed, what he's done is he brings up a topic, he touches on that topic, but then he moves beyond just the mere surface level of that topic, and he goes down to the heart attitude that leads us to the place where we do something that is against God. He moves beyond the act itself to the heart attitude that actually produces the act. Jesus has pointed beyond the act of murder to the problem of anger. We saw that a couple of weeks ago. Then he moves beyond the act of adultery to the problem of lust and divorce. We saw that last week and the week before. And today what he does is he points beyond the act of swearing an oath to the issue of truth-telling with our speech. Jesus' followers are to speak truthfully in everything that they do, avoiding deceptive speech that is intentionally meant to manipulate a person or meant to manipulate a situation. And this morning, we're going to see Jesus address this reality in three ways from these verses that were read this morning. This morning, we're going to see this, that Jesus is going to show us what it looks like to have speech that honors God. He's going to show us what it looks like to have speech that manipulates, and then he's going to show us what it looks like to have speech that is marked with integrity. Speech that honors God, speech that manipulates, and speech that is to be marked with integrity. So look at verse 33. We're going to seize this speech that is meant to honor God. Jesus said, verse 33, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. So first what we need to do is define this idea of an oath. Like, What is Jesus talking about when he's talking about swearing oaths, making making promises, making making oaths? What what is he driving at? And I, I think it is this. The goal of an oath is to induce people to tell the truth And to be true to their word, especially when there are temptations to lie or break their commitment with the very words that they're speaking. So simply put, whenever we come together and two people exchange an oath or a contract is made or a promise is made between people or whatever the situation, the simple design of an oath is this. It is meant to encourage truth-telling. It is meant to encourage truthfulness with our words. Now, admittedly, we don't often make oaths or use the language of swearing an oath in our day. You don't find that quite often. But when you do make oaths, they tend to be in more formal situations. So there are some areas of life for us in this day and age that we live in to where you still find this idea of oath. We want to exchange some words, exchange some promises so that we can show each other, let each other know we are being truthful in the words we're doing. So when you think about a wedding, a husband and a wife come together and they exchange vows. They make an oath. They make a promise one, one to another. That is a realm of an oath. Whenever you go to court, what do you do? You're testifying in court. You place your hand on the Bible. What you're saying is, by placing my hand on this Bible, I'm referencing something higher than me. I'm referencing God. I'm making an oath, basically, before God that I am going to desire and strive to tell the truth in this situation. If you enter the military, you go to the police force. I had to do this when I was in the military. What you do is you you stand before someone and you recite an oath. And what you're doing is saying is this. You're asking something of me and I'm promising to give you what you're asking of me. 
And I'm vowing to do this, to keep this promise, to make this exchange between me and you, the military. But when you come to the time of the Old Testament, when you go to the time of Jesus' day, the idea of swearing an oath was more prominent in everyday activity. Today, not very common. Jesus' day, extremely common. The way in Jesus' day that you guaranteed the truthfulness of what you were saying was by swearing an oath to tell the truth in God's name. God's people would call upon God as a witness and they would call upon God to avenge the truth if they were lying as they made their oath. Very common in just everyday activity. The way that I would somehow show I'm being truthful what I'm saying. I'm, I want you to understand the veracity and the genuine nature of what I'm saying. The language of oath, of swearing truthfulness to you, you to me, before God by taking God's name as an avenger of truth was a very common practice. So when you go back to the Old Testament, what you see is God's people were taught in this way. Leviticus 19 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of God. Numbers 30, If a man vows a vow to the Lord, he shall not break his word. Deuteronomy 23, If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay in fulfilling it. Jesus Taking this reality that in the Old Testament, in the times of Christ, God's people could come along, enter into a relationship with an oath, with a promise, with a vow, and say, in the name of the Almighty God, I promise to you that I'm going to do this. And that was considered an okay thing. And Jesus, when we come to verse 33, what he does is he goes back into the Old Testament, scoops up all these loose pieces of truth like Leviticus 19, Numbers 30, Deuteronomy 23, and he boils them down, he brings them down to this nutshell statement where he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And the main idea, once again, in swearing an oath was to honor God with truthful speech by taking God's name as part of that speech and then actually going and doing what you just promised before God and before that person that you would do. So the question then becomes this. If all of this is true and swearing an oath in this way is okay and it truly honors God, the inevitable question then becomes, so why on earth does Jesus make a change? Like, like, what's the beef here? Like, what's the rub? Like, what's going on in verse 33 where Jesus says, because he's about to employ that formula that he's been using all along the Sermon on the Mount up to this point. You have heard it said, but I say to you, you were operating this way, but I say to you, operate this way. You were thinking this way, but I say, think this way. You're acting this way, but I say, act this way. And he's about ready to do it again. But the question becomes, if, there's, if, if this is true, you shall not swear falsely, but perform the Lord what you have sworn. Then the question is, what exactly is Jesus driving at? I think the answer is this. In Jesus' day, the idea of swearing an oath had devolved into a permissible way to lie. For those who abused the truth as a means of manipulation, Jesus, with the words, do not take an oath at all, moves beyond the act of merely swearing an oath to address the hard attitude behind the distortion that oath-taking had become, namely speech that was used to manipulate. So in Jesus' day, speech-making, 
Oath-taking, swearing an oath, was no longer merely a vehicle for just telling the truth. As we'll see here in a minute, it had devolved into a way to where you could look like you were telling the truth, but you really could couch in there almost an escape hatch, making a way for you to speak something that looked truthful, speak something that looked like you had every intent to uphold and to keep, but then to basically tuck out the backside if it became inconvenient or you didn't like it or you didn't want to do it. And oath-taking had devolved into a way to permissibly lie to people. And so the religious teachers rightly recognized this, that making an oath to the Lord was very serious business. It was so serious that you actually fell into the category of taking God's name in vain if you were to swear an oath in God's name and then not do it. So this got the religious teachers, the theologians of their day going, okay, oath-taking is a real deal. We want to do this. God has called us to do this. We also want to honor God. We don't want to take God's name in vain. So what can we do to still use the vehicle, use the language of swearing an oath, but avoid taking God's name in vain? And what they came up with was this. You can swear an oath by other things than God. They said this. Don't, just don't swear an oath in God's name. Swear your oath by something other than God. And so knowing this way of thinking, Jesus turns and flat out forbids making any oaths at all when he says his words there in verses 34 through 36. Look at your copy of Scripture. You have heard it was said this, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. Why? Either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. The distortion of truth-telling put forward by the religious teachers had spun out into a theology of truth-telling where it became possible to swear an oath by heaven. I swear an oath by Jerusalem. I swear to you, Charles, by my head, I'm going to pay you back that $5 that I owe you. And by doing this, spinning out this theology of truth-telling, where it became possible to swear an oath by something else other than God's name, the teachers slipped into a mode of teaching and encouraging the people that on that basis, the basis that you made your oath by heaven or Jerusalem, by something other than God, actually releases you in certain situations from fulfilling the promise they had made. So what they would say is this, if I owed Charles $5, if I stood before you and I stood before Charles and said, by the name of God Almighty, Charles, I am going to pay you back that $5. If I don't do that, follow through on the action... The religious teachers and the scriptures come along and say, you are taking God's name in vain. Because you said something, referencing God, saying, God, avenge this thing. Make this happen. Make sure it comes true. But if I had no intention of paying him back that $5, then I would be guilty of taking God's name in vain. And so that was a really big deal. The people of God didn't want to fall in that category. And so what they said was this. John, if you stepped into that same situation again, if you could have it to do over, and you're maybe going to pay the five bucks back, maybe not, you might get to it sort of at some point in time, then what you do is go, Charles, by, by Springfield, Illinois, I swear I'll pay you back that $5. And maybe you get to it, maybe you don't. 
If you get to it, good. You've sort of upheld your end of the bargain. If you don't, no big deal. But after all, you didn't swear in God's name. You swore by Springfield. Permissible. It sounds good. I'm making an oath. I'm using right words. I'm talking to Charles. I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. But in this scenario, in Jesus' culture, in his day and age, there was actually a backdoor hatch in that last phrase merely because I swore by Springfield and not by God's name that if I did not uphold my end of the bargain, no big deal. Life is okay. Jesus, knowing full well, punks this way of thinking by calling out the flaw that is inherent in the whole system. Jesus when he says, do not take an oath at all by heaven, by earth, by Jerusalem, or by your head, comes along and he's teaching them this, that no matter what you swear your oath by, it is somehow, in some way, always related to God, no matter what. Heaven, if you swear by heaven, it is God's throne, so you're not escaping God there. Earth is God's footstool, so you're not escaping God there. Jerusalem is God's city, so you're not escaping him there. If you swear by your head, your hair and its natural color is God's. It belongs to him. It falls under his sovereignty as the creator, so you're definitely not escaping God there. Therefore, Jesus teaches these hearers, these disciples who are sitting there listening to him on the hillside as he's preaching his sermon, there is no oath of any kind that is trivial. The very fact that you have delineated binding and non-binding categories for truth-telling shows that you've completely missed the mark. No oath ever justifies lying. All oaths are genuine promises to speak and carry out the truth. So Jesus, in a very real sense, is addressing one category of people. People who think they could get away with manipulation, get away with deceit, get away with lying with their words, if it sort of sounds good. That's what was going on in Jesus' day. Notice they weren't just outright going like, I'm going to lie to you right now. They couched their lie in the vehicle, in the clothing of a system that was meant to tell the truth. But they had so abused the truth that eventually this idea of making an oath came to a place where it didn't really mean anything anymore. Because the moment that you told me, I'm not swearing by God's name, but I'm swearing by Jerusalem, it's like, well, I, that doesn't carry any weight anymore because now I know like, you really don't even have to uphold your end of the bargain. So like, why are you even swearing or making, making this oath to me? But Jesus does something else as well when he addresses the issue of oath-taking when he says that phrase, do not take an oath at all. We could ask this question. So what if someone had every intention to be true to their word but still feels the need to swear by heaven or by Jerusalem? Right? Everything I've just talked about is this. The person steps into the situation. If we're going to use me and Charles again, we step into this situation, and it is this. I'm moving into this situation, and the attitude of my heart is this. I really know I am not going to pay him back that five bucks but I'm going to use words to specifically manipulate anyways. Charles, I swear by, by Springfield I'm going to pay you back. And Jesus says, listen, bro, your heart attitude's off. The very fact that you are not willing to make that oath in God's name shows your heart attitude's bent. Don't do that. Don't make that oath. But the question is, what if I came into that situation and I have every intention, 100% 
pure intention to honor God with my truth-telling, but I still feel the need to go by heaven, by earth, Charles. I promise, I swear I'm going to pay you back that five bucks. What does Jesus say? Jesus says, still, even in that moment, do not take an oath. Rather, let your speech and your speech alone be marked with integrity. Be marked with integrity. Look at verse 37. Jesus says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil or it comes from the evil one. See, Christ followers are to speak what they mean. The goal of a Christ follower, the goal of a kingdom citizen is truth-telling in every situation of life. So if you mean yes in any given situation, in any given relationship, say yes. Let your yes be yes. Say what you mean. If you mean no, let your no be no. Say no. Don't try to couch it. Don't try to hem-haw. Don't try to say some words that sort of sound nice because you don't want to hurt and like all these sorts of things. If your yes means yes, say it. If you mean no, say it. If you have every intention of fulfilling your word, don't feel the need to church up your promise with some sort of grand formula. We were meeting with some guys this past Friday, and we brought this up, and it was great because all of us have experienced this in some way. Like, like don't be that third-grade kid on the playground, right, where we were talking earlier where every kid on the playground goes, no, I swear on my grandma's grave, I'm going to give you back that 50 cents I owe. It's like, don't be that kid. Like, don't feel the need to somehow go, no, I really, 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 really mean it this time. I'm even swearing on my grandma's grave. It's like, nah, like, don't do that. You know, the very fact that you have to sell me on your words by swearing upon your grandma's grave tells me that you can't even be trusted. Like, if you're going to pay me back the 50 cents, just say, I'm going to pay you back the 50 cents. Don't deceive people or situations to make you look good at their expense. Husband, don't manipulate your wife with words to sidestep your, hus- to sidestep your God-ordained role of leadership in your marriage by giving an answer that's not really an answer. So when your wife comes and asks you to do something or asks you to consider something, oftentimes we as husbands will not let our yes be yes. We will not let our no be no. And in that moment, what we're doing is we're giving away leadership. We're not operating as the leader we're called to be. So what do we say? Wife will come, ask a question. We'll be like, oh, let me think about it. Bro, you're not going to think about it. You're just using words to manipulate the situation. You want her to be quiet, so what you want her to do is leave. So what you say is, yeah, let me think about it. It sounds like a good answer. But really what you're doing is you're just manipulating the situation. Get out of here. Go. God calls us as believers not to operate in that way. Parents, don't manipulate your children with words of promise. All of us have been guilty of this. If you help me clean your room, then after quiet time, we'll have a snack. Quiet time ends. No snack comes. Or maybe you're just so desperate for your kid to clean your room. You're just trying to manipulate them in some way. If you say something, mean what you say and then do it. If you want your kid to clean your room with you and you promise them a snack afterward, then follow through on your actions. If you're an employee, don't say you'll do something, but then make the deliberate decision to not do what you said because it's inconvenient. So your boss or a coworker comes in and says, hey, Davis, can you handle these? Yeah, yeah, just, just leave it on my desk and I'll get to it later. 
knowing full well you're really not going to get to it later, or maybe thinking you'll get to it later, and then you have an opportunity to do it later, but then you make the conscious decision. I mean, that was just inc- it's inconvenient. Like, I want, to, I want to go eat right now. I want to go run out. I don't want to stay that extra 15, that extra 30 minutes later that it's going to require me to actually fulfill my word. Jesus says, if you cannot do it, don't do it. If someone comes and sets some work on your, thing, on your, on your desk and say, honest, I'm going to try to get to it, but I don't know if I get it right. It's this kind of language you're supposed to have. Church, let us not manipulate one another with words that appear true in order to make ourselves look good before each other. So you're in community group and someone says, man, my pet goldfish, he's about to die. Will you pray for it? And you're like, yeah, man, I'll pray for that. No, you ain't, bro. You ain't going to be praying for that guy's goldfish, man. So don't say it. <laughs> don't say you're going to pray for the goldfish. They don't. Why, but why do you say, yeah, I'll pray for that? Because what are you doing in that moment? You're a Christian. I'm supposed to care for you, and I'm supposed to give a rip about your goldfish, and so I'm going to tell you I'm going to pray for you. But you don't care about their goldfish. So what are you doing? You're trying to look good in front of that person by saying a right thing, but you have no intention of following through on your right thing. You've specifically decided to manipulate and deceive. Whew, now we're even, and we're using religious language to do it now, you know? Yeah, I'll pray for you. No, you're not, man. Be honest with our words, even among one another, as we're talking about what it looks like to pray for one another and to care for one another in these ways. So how do we respond to these sorts of things? Some questions you can ask yourself is this. Does your yes really mean yes? Does your yes really mean yes? When you operate with people who are in your sphere of, rela- sphere of relationships, your sphere of influence, when you say yes, do you really mean yes? When you say no, does your no really mean no? When you tell somebody, I will do this, do you carry it through to completion even at your own inconvenience? Do you find yourself tempted to modify and disguise the truth for your advantage? Are you prone to tell a lot of truth with a little bit of half-truth disguised as truth? Are you tempted to disguise the truth because you're afraid that if you told the truth that somebody might, might actually know what's going on in your world? Jesus says don't operate that way. If someone were to come and interview your roommate, interview your coworker, interview your boss, interview your spouse... And they ask the question, is this person's word reliable? How would they answer? When people think of integrity, does your name come to mind? This is a person who means what they say and say what they mean. Do you jump to the forefront of their minds when someone asks about integrity? See, it is questions like these which begin to help us evaluate whether our speech is more prone to manipulate, more prone to deceive, more prone to lie, or if our speech is more prone to honor God with integrity. So the ultimate question then becomes, so, like, what, so what does a first response look like? like? Like, What does it mean for us in light of these verses, Matthew 5, 33 through 37, what does it mean for us as we walk out of this world? Like, what is a first step response And I was really helped by this quote by a guy named Dan Doriani who says this. According to Jesus, the standards 
for oaths and promises are clear enough. We know it is our duty to prove so faithful to our word that the use of oaths and promises withers away. Yet, a problem remains. Although we know that we should keep our word, we bend or break the truth anyway. Sometimes we falter through folly more than sin. At other times, we are prone to violate words spoken to the powerless, such as a child, more than we break promises spoken to the powerful, such as a boss. We will break less visible commitments, such as nursery duty, and keep more highly visible ones, such as leading a meeting. We will even give ourselves to exaggeration to make sure we look good at someone else's expense. No matter, however hard we try, flawed humans cannot always tell the truth just as it needs to be told. It cannot be done. When you read the words of Jesus in these five verses, there is one command in these five verses, and it is this. Let, your, let what you say be simply yes or no. Jesus leaves no wiggle room. He doesn't say, let your yes be yes, except for this situation. Let your no be no, oh, if you find yourself in this scenario. No wiggle room. Strict command. You, kingdom citizen, you, Christ follower, let your yes be yes and your no be no. No caveats. Command, period. And my guess is that some of us in this room feel the weight of Christ's teaching, for we agree that we, as humans, cannot always tell the truth just as it needs to be told. It cannot be done. And oddly enough, this feeling, this thought running through your head at this exact moment is the very conclusion we are meant to draw as we read these words of Christ. When we read the words of Christ concerning truth-telling, we are meant to see that the standard of Jesus' sermon is high and that we cannot attain what he is striving for on our own. You and I need the good news of Jesus Christ. You and I need the gospel of grace. The gospel teaches us to ask the one who gives the standard to forgive us when we break it. The gospel compels us to ask the one who kept the standard in perfect righteousness to close the, clothe us with his righteousness, with his grace, so that we can continue to strive living for the very thing that he calls us to. The gospel beckons us to come to Christ, to realize that in him we have an advocate because Jesus Christ is the incarnation of truth. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus is the model of truth-telling. He is the one who committed no sin. No deceit was ever found in his mouth. And Jesus Christ is the one who was so committed to truth-telling that it led to his own death. Truth so consumed Jesus that it led to the greatest act of the gospel, Christ's crucifixion upon the cross. And you and I have been reconciled to God by the truth of the cross 
And this reality is meant to fuel our speech in such a way that we reflect the good news of Christ with our lives and with our word in every sphere of life that we find ourselves. God's people are a people who are grounded on the truth because God is the God of truth. And if you're an unbeliever here this morning... This God of truth is calling you to respond as well. These words of truth-telling from Matthew 5, 33 through 37 are, are for believers. They are for believers, but they are not merely only for believers. They're for you as well if you're an unbeliever in Christ. So if you find yourself as an unbeliever here this morning, the God of truth is calling you to respond What you need to know is this, that God has spoken the truth when he identifies you as a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God, who cannot attain to God's standard of holiness. You need to know that God has spoken truth when he says that there is nothing, nothing you can do upon your own to achieve that high standard on your own. You are separated from God. You are far from God. There is no work. There is no deed. There is no thing you can do on your own to reconcile yourself to this God. But what you also need to know is this, that God has spoken truth with an unbreakable promise. God has spoken a promise to send a Savior, to save you from sin. And God has kept this promise at great cost to himself so that you could be reconciled to him. And your response to this morning from the words of Jesus Christ are this, do not rest on you, but rest on the unchangeable promise of Christ, his person, his work, of what he accomplished upon that cross. Because that is the only truth will save you. Everything else that comes along pretending to sound like a way to make you right with God that does not include the personal work of Jesus Christ is actually deceit, manipulation, and lie. What you need is the very truth of Jesus Christ and the good news gospel message applied to your heart. So your response is obey. Obey the gospel call. Come, repent, believe, place your hope in Jesus Christ as your only hope of salvation. Let's pray. God, I thank you this morning for your words. I thank you this morning for your truth. I pray that you would use this in a way that compels us to be a people who are used by you to be truth-tellers in such a way that the gospel would go forth in a way that is glorious. In Christ's name I pray, amen.